Welcome to the Bishop Strickland Hour. My name is Terry Barber with Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Every week we have a chance to chat with the good bishop about Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. We comment on the issues of the day inside the church, outside the church, and try and put a Christ-like perspective on the situations that we live in today. And Bishop Strickland, thanks again for taking another hour with us, my friend. Glad to do it, Terry. Oh, I'm glad that you're here. Bishop Strickland, right off the bat, you have a tweet regarding something close to my heart. It's about 30 miles from where I sit, Dodger Stadium. And you pointed out that uh, Catholic Vote sends out a, a, a little a flyer that says, Stop anti-Catholic bigotry. Contact the Dodgers. And uh, we did. We, we did a show on this. But I wanted to, and you, you tweeted, please uh, speak about this evil being promoted. Basically, I have a picture of these, this group called Sisters of Indulgence. Um, I can't, you can see it on the screen, I think. They, they, it's an abomination. They're not, first of all, they're not sisters. They're homosexual men uh, that go out and uh, attack the Catholic faith and do sacrilegious things. We, if you want to hear about all the things they do, their history, it took us 14 minutes to summarize it on the Terry and Jesse show for today's date, which is <clears throat> the 31st of May. You can, get, you can see that on our website, uh, vmpr.org, and listen to that. But the, the bottom line is, Bishop Strickland, uh, we now have Dodger pitchers and players and other sports figures calling out the Dodgers and saying, hey, you know, uh, Clayton Kershaw, one of the best Dodger pitchers in the last 20 years, uh, he disagrees with the Dodger organization and says, I'm going to try to uh, bring back a Christian day for Dodger Stadium where all the Christians can come to the ballpark. So uh, I wanted to read a letter from a, uh, you call him a pinch, a um, relief pitcher. He had some really good seasons, like with a 1.6 ERA. He was the Dodgers' top relief pitcher at one point. Now he's had an injury and he had surgery, so we'll see where he goes. But his name is Blake uh, Trinan. And here's a letter that he wrote to Dodger Stadium, and I want to get your comment on it. He says, I'm disappointed to see the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence being honored as heroes at Dodger Stadium. Many of their performances are blasphemous, and their work only displays hatred and mockery of Catholics and the Christian faith. He says, I understand that playing baseball is a privilege, not a right. My convictions in Jesus Christ will always come first. Good for him. He says, since I've been with the Dodgers, they have been at the forefront of supporting a wide variety of groups. However, inviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to perform and disenfranchise a large community and promote hate of Christians and the people of faith, this single event alienates the fans and supporters of Dodger Stadium, Major League Baseball too, in professional sports. People like baseball for its entertainment value and competition. The fans do not want propaganda or politics forced on them. The debacle with Bud Light and Target should be a warning to companies and professional sports to stay tuned, uh, true to their brand and leave propaganda and politics off the field. This last paragraph nails it. He says, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe the word of God is true. So it's inerrant. And in Galatians chapter 6 and 7, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This group openly mocks Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of my faith, and I want to make it clear that I do not agree 
with nor support the decision of the Dodgers to honor the sisters of perpetual indulgence. But as for me, he says, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Right from Joshua chapter 24. This is written by Bishop... Um, no, I'm sorry. This is written by a layman who's a, pro, who's a Protestant, but he stood up and said what he, what he said. What did you think of that, Bishop Strickland? Wonderful. And I commend him for yeah. speaking up. Like we were talking about, mm -hmm. uh, I think we're reaching a point where... In, sadly, in every level of society, yeah. in the church, in the state, in sports, in entertainment, in business, it's, it's reaching a fever pitch. And I really believe this LGBTQ movement, all of this, everything that we're seeing, this wokeness, it's overplaying its hand. Mm, um, as has happened throughout history. Um, if you look to the Roman Empire, Empire, it collapsed under just total debauchery right. and <laughs> extreme persecution of Christians. Because even in the very beginning, Christianity was diametrically opposed to all of this kind of garbage. And that's why the Roman emperors were, were going down the tubes even before Christianity, yeah. the Roman Empire was toward its end when the when Christianity came around. But it in the first three years, three centuries or so of Christianity, the Roman Empire just went into freefall. And it's sadly what we're seeing with our civilization. And they're overplaying their hand just like the Romans did. God tolerates evil because his son died, just like that relief pitcher said, who's yeah. not even Catholic, but he knows Christianity. Amen. And Christianity believes everything he, he wrote there, and they overplay their hand by thinking that Satan, ultimately, as I, I think uh, Archbishop Corleone said it, that we know what God they're worshiping, God with a small g, because yep. there is only one God. That's right. But it's true. It's money. It's power. It's all the things that are on this agenda. And it will not stand. It has its day, but they, they tend to overplay their hand, just like every evil empire through human history, whether it was before Christ or after Christ. You can look through history, and that's what that's what these people that are pushing all this and trying to cram it down our throats, they don't know history. They're devoid of any understanding of how how civilization has developed. And they're pushing an agenda that is evil, disconnected from the word of God, slanderous and blasphemous of Jesus Christ himself, and it's, it really is something that, I mean, I know both of us. Yes. Just as individual men, you have a family, you have a responsibility to be a man of God. Yep. I have a responsibility as a bishop to talk to my flock. And it's out of that responsibility. We better speak up. And I commend you for speaking up. And I do my best to speak up. 
not too many radio personalities, mm -hmm. not too many bishops no. speak up. But we need to, I don't know where the limit is for some of the other cardinals and bishops in the world, yeah. but I reached my limit, obviously, a long time ago. Yeah. But they need to reach their limit and say, I've had enough. There's too much evil in the world. Too much evil is being promoted and ignored. And we need to speak up and say, no, this has to be corrected. And Bishop Strickland, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> I'm in Southern California, down in San Diego, at a Catholic Marymount University, a Jesuit-run institution, is doing something where, like the world, they're compromising. They have a conference coming up for, they call it, uh, you know, Gay uh, Pride Month, which is Homosexual Month. And they are putting on a conference, and they have openly brought in active homosexuals. You notice I said active. In other words, they're not just having people have a proclivity towards homosexuality. These are people who say, this is a good thing. <clears throat> and I'm tired as a layman, okay, if you're tired from a bishop's perspective, but I'm tired of seeing things that the world has infiltrated into the church, and especially this whole thing, and I'll just, I'm going to throw one more thing out, the, the new appointment for the Archbishop of Buenos Aires. The bishop is an openly supportive a bishop for homosexuality. See, this is what laymen like myself go, hey, this isn't supporting the perennial teachings of the deposit of faith. You're putting people in position to undermine the moral teachings of the church. Now, I'm not in management, as you know, I'm in sales. But the thing about it is I'm praying that we, not only as a culture, wake up, but even the church wakes up to say, wait a minute, we have the truth that's going to set people free, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the best thing we can offer people. And this idea of offering people, you know, well, we can, we can recycle. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that recycling. I got solar panels. I'm all for that. But let's put our energy into uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's how I see you. I see Father Bishop Robert Barron. He just came out last week, and we played it on our radio network where he was saying, if the Dodgers did this to the Muslims, what would happen? If the Absolutely. Dodgers did this to the Jews, you know what would happen. But why is it that we can do it to the Catholics? Yeah. Am I making my well, point? Absolutely. And really, Terry, um, I hope in the next segment yeah. we can talk about holy things. Yeah. Because that's, that's what people need to be reminded of. I agree. Because... Really, what it comes down to is a lack of faith in the supernatural. Yes. And sadly, that's cardinals, bishops, leaders in the church who that's their whole reality for their their life is living what we believe and sharing that belief. And they're not doing it. Supernatural life. Let's talk about it, especially right after Pentecost. What a great time for the early church to be an example for us. Stay with us, family. Now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. We left you with a teaser about the supernatural life of the church and holiness. And I can't think of a better time to talk about it because we just celebrated 
the Feast of Pentecost. We call it the birthday of the church. And when we think about the early church, I love something that you said that I'll never forget. You said we have to become first century Christians. What did you mean by that, Bishop Strickland? Well, if you look at the, the first century of the church, they faced opposition that we wouldn't even be able to imagine uh, how strong it was. And I mean, people were dying, no telling how many of what percentage. I mean, these days they'd be able to tell us if it was happening now, they'd say this percentage of these followers of Jesus that came to be called Christians later on, mm-hmm. um, this percentage of them has, has died in this whole movement. Really, it comes down to faith. Um, a couple of years back, several years now, but one time on the floor of the USCCB meeting, I said, do we believe this or not? I remember that. And the, sadly, the message that has come since then, several years back, for, for it's gotten worse and worse. The answer is no. Too many bishops and cardinals do not believe. If they do, they better start speaking about that belief and not hiding behind, you know, oh, I don't want to cause disruption or whatever. What have we got to fear? Man. Nothing. And the thing is, and that's what I wanted to focus on for this part of our conversation, that we just celebrated Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Here we are recording this. Yeah on the Feast of the Visitation, a beautiful moment in the Gospel where John the Baptist leaps for joy in the presence of the Son of God in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary as John the Baptist is another child leaping for joy at the mere presence of an embryonic person, Jesus Christ, there in the womb of Mary. So... uh, What struck me is that that is an encounter of four of God's children that Mary and Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself, the divine son of God, who is also being formed in the womb to be the mystery of his incarnation. So that's what we're celebrating today, the last day of May, this Marian month of May. And then we move into June which it's a desecration to call it Pride Month. (laughs) What is pride? Pride is a sin. And they call it Pride Month appropriately because it's exalting a a sinful behavior. Like we've said many, many times, and the church makes very clear, an inclination, we all have inclinations to various sins. That's right. That is not sinful. But when you act on an inclination of sinfulness, what we call a temptation, then it becomes sinful. And that's what they're literally celebrating, what we were talking about before. But I want to get into the holy things. In June, we first day of June, we celebrate Justin Martyr, one of the great early martyrs of that early church just after the first century. Trinity Sunday, June 4th, Corpus Christi Sunday, June 11th, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, June 16th, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, June 17th, 
the nativity of John the Baptist, June the 24th, the same one who leaps in the womb that we celebrate today, leaps in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, the same one it celebrates his birth. St. Peter and Paul at the end of June the 29th. All of us as people of faith, we need to be strengthened by those celebrations of holiness. And we need to pray and speak up and with clarity and charity yeah. oppose the evil of our age. To be silent in the face of evil, we've seen that through history too. Big time. Too many times when Christians are silent in the face of evil, they become complicit with that evil. We may not be doing it, but if we don't call it out, we become complicit and responsible for allowing it to just That's take right. over and distort lives yep. and confuse beautiful little children that are being brought up in heretical, yep. evil situations. Yep. And we've got to speak up for the sanctity of life and for all the, the goodness that God has created in the world. And like we were saying earlier, I think that Satan, like he always does, mm -hmm. because that's who's motivating this. Right. Satan, he wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy all goodness. He wants us all condemned to hell as he is. It won't happen. Jesus Christ has conquered Satan. But each of us individually have to make our own choices. And that's what we have to teach our children. Yep. I know that people are overwhelmed by the evil that we see. And it's right here in beautiful East Texas in the Diocese of Tyler. Yeah. We see atrocities happen mm. where people are caught up in drugs or just mentally ill and neglected, yeah. but people shot and it's just terrible. The guns that are used, the guns are not the evil. It's what human beings do with yeah. instruments of evil. And sadly, we see all kinds of instruments of evil that we've got to speak against. We've got to believe in the goodness that's created in each of us. What does Jesus say? Yes. He talks more about love than anything. And people say, oh, he never said this is wrong or that is wrong. <laughs> but when he tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments, I, get, I presume that he thought that's all he needed to say, and it really is all he needs to say. Yeah. If we pay attention, and those commandments were already ancient by the time the Son of God was born. The Ten Commandments and everything that goes along with understanding the world that God has created and what is sinful and what is virtuous. We've just got to emphasize it more and more. And like we've said, Terry, to be afraid of losing our position, whatever it is, <laughs> it's it's really foolish and short-sighted. Yep. We've said it many times. Sure. We're about the same age, yep. in our 60s. Right. I'm soon going to be 65, old enough for Social Security <laughs> if it's still around by then. <laughs> but it it's foolishness. It's, it's not having faith. Yeah. It's believing this world is all there is. We're going to, in not that many years, maybe very soon, maybe in, in a few years, but we've got to be in, in investing in eternity. Amen. And that's, that's what life is about. Like we've said before, 
the code of canon law. Yep. The last yep. canon of the code says this is all about the salvation of souls. And it's the salvation of my soul, your soul, yep. and every soul that we can influence to know the wondrous truth of God. I think also we need to emphasize, like we've talked about before, mm -hmm. following Jesus Christ is full of joy, full of happiness, full of meaning and peace in our lives, even in the midst of turmoil. Some of the greatest saints were cheerful, happy people <laughs> in the midst of great persecution. Yep. They kept their sense of humor. We just celebrated St. Joan of Arc. And from what I've read, she had a sense of humor and a sense of <laughs> dedication to her faith. She was only 19 years old. Unbelievable. So the wisdom of the faith, uh, Carlos Acutis, yeah. a youngster, the, the great martyr, um, Jose Sanchez del Rio. Oh, a little teen. I think he was 12, oh. 13 years old when he was martyred. Right. Those are young people. The, the saints are old, they're young, they're everything in between, but they're people who know where real joy is. And we're called, all of us, to sanctity from our baptism. And we're called to share baptism with every person that we can. That's what Jesus said. Go out to all the world and preach the good news, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say, don't, don't influence other people. Don't tell them to come to the church. Jesus said, go out to all the nations, all the world and share the good news, teaching the word of God and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right there, Jesus Christ captures the very heart. The heart of our Catholic faith captures the heart of it. He speaks of word and sacrament, and those are the two pillars that strengthen us in Catholic faith. We believe in the word of God, we believe in the power of the sacraments. And if we believe, we better speak up and say no to this evil. It's our obligation from saying, having said no to Satan, as one of the baptismal promises that was said for us when we were baptized as infants, yep. and that we renewed for ourselves when we were confirmed in the Holy Spirit, our own personal Pentecost, we said I renounce Satan, I believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I believe in the Catholic Church. We better stand for what we said we believe in. A big amen to that, and I will mention that I would like to have on the next segment one of your tweets about the Eucharist. You quote St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor, and then Phil Lawler, good friend of the show, uh, has 12 points about a Eucharistic revival. We did a whole show on that. But I'd like to have you, Bishop Strickland, from your perspective of that article, because you said 14 simple steps to Eucharistic revival. <laughs> we covered all 14 on one of the Terry and Jesse shows. But here we're spending millions of dollars. I think it's $28 million as a bishop's conference to renew the Eucharist. I think it's great that we're going to be doing this. But I want to ask, on the practical level, what did Phil Lawler have to say? And do you agree? Obviously you do. But, I mean, this is really what we call the source and summit of the Christian life, the Holy Eucharist. And it's incredibly important that we bring back reverence 
incredibly important that we bring back a knowledge of what the Mass is and Eucharistic piety, uh, because right now uh, the percentage is showing most Catholics, and I mean way more than most, have no clue about the Eucharist, and that's a tragedy. So Absolutely. we'd like to help that uh, situation get better, and I know the Bishop's Conference wants to see that, but I'd like to ask you to talk about some of the practical applications we need to do to bring back reverence. I've watched you say Mass. I can tell you actually believe. I There's an old saying that says, watch a priest say his Mass, and you'll know about all about his spirituality. So let's talk about that when we come back here on the Bishop Strickland Hour. Again, folks, if you want to hear more on that topic, the Terry and Jesse Show did that segment on all of those statements by Phil Lawler. I think it's important. We need to bring back the understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist and actions speak louder than words. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back indeed to the Bishop Strickland Hour. It sounds like I'm excited. You know what I'm excited about, Bishop Strickland? Anytime we can talk about our Catholic faith and share, especially whether it's Our Lady, the Eucharist, the person of Christ, I should be excited because it's what life's about, because life is short and eternity is forever. So I wanted to ask you, first you quoted St. Thomas Aquinas, and then you encouraged people to consider reading the Phil Lawler's uh, suggestions on uh, the revival, Eucharistic revival, uh, and, and you made a joke said it won't cost $28 million to do it. Uh, and so let's talk about the one first, St. Thomas. He says, the Eucharist is the sacrament of love. It signifies love. It produces love. The Eucharist is the consummation of the whole spiritual life. The, can you say more than that? No. I know. And this, it really echoes what Vatican II says. Yes. The source and the summit. But we really need to believe that. Tell me. And too many, too many things have happened that really dilute that faith. And I'm glad you bring up the, the Phil Lawler. I thought his 14 points were excellent. And I really, and I said that I commend him for not saying, oh, this all needs to be mandated. Right. Because how much did Jesus mandate? No. He mandated the commandments. Right. But as far as... Offered all of this, this practices, yep. how we receive him yep. in the Eucharist. I, you know, some people say, Oh, you need to mandate this bishop. To me, it's about converting hearts, amen. And I think everything that Phil Lawler talks about, I think it's a good suggestion. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to mandate things, and, and frankly, there's things in the, the law of the church now. That, I mean, some of it's gradually changing, and and Pope Benedict did a lot with the the new missile that was the Roman missile that came out during his pontificate. But things like, I mean, there was when I was in the seminary, it was basically considered law that the tabernacle couldn't be in the sanctuary. What? All of that, uh, yeah, all of that agenda was ultimately. To be where we are uh-huh. with 70% of the people not really believing in the real presence because the tabernacle, you practically needed a, 
a map to find it in <laughs> some of the churches. Finding it, yeah. Thankfully, my predecessor made sure that all the tabernacles were front and center behind the altar. Wow, God bless and, you know, the argument that was used when I was in this area, oh, the focus needs to be on the Eucharist that's being celebrated, the Mass. The, it was called the meal a lot of times then. The, I've never, I mean, I could speak from my own experience. <laughs> Praying before the tabernacle, yeah. and especially in Eucharistic adoration. I mean, you mentioned, you could see by the way that I celebrate Mass. That's right. That I truly believe. And I do. I know Jesus Christ because I've spent time with him yep. and I need to spend more time. But the argument that, oh, I mean, you know, some have banned Eucharistic adoration, even as the Eucharistic revival is happening. It shows me they have no real faith. We pray that they will gain, regain or gain that real faith. But it shows me they have no real faith. Praying before the Eucharist, yeah. Jesus Christ, praying before his Eucharistic face does nothing but cause you to love the Mass even more Amen. because you love him more. And I love um, Phil Lawler's points. I'm not going to mandate them in the diocese, but I encourage people and I encourage the priest. I mean, part of what we face really, Terry, in the church today, and I, you know, I was one of those priests. Yeah. I was formed in that. Yeah. By the grace of God, I've awakened to, I always believed in the real presence, but I believe more deeply than I ever did. And I was just reading about one of the Eucharistic miracles, and the scientists were saying, and it really touched my heart, <laughs> speaking of heart, but yeah. as we enter into the sacred heart month, yes, we need to realize the priest is holding the sacred heart of Christ. He's holding the totality of Christ, but I think it's a great image because we all know the image of the heart, a heart that beat in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary as he was forming there, just like every child's heart, a heart that died on the cross, a heart that came to life and rose from the dead, a heart that now dwells at the right hand of the Father and is here with us in the Eucharist during this month of the sacred heart. We need to make it a Eucharistic celebration of, and I mean, all those feast days that I already mentioned give us a, a great opportunity to adore the Lord in his sacred heart. He's really with us. If you believe that, you're going to turn from sin. You're going to try to live his commandments because you love him. And you don't see the commandments as something, oh, we can change this and change that, and scripture needs to be changed, and We've misunderstood everything. That isn't true. That the church has a deposit of faith that we've got to treasure. And <clears throat> Phil Lawler's points, some of them are already in place in the Diocese of Tyler, in, in some parishes, some not. Because like I was saying, priests have been formed in different ways. Yeah. I try not to just force things because... What does that cause? That just causes Division. more resistance. Yep, yep. And people say, oh, Bishop Strickland's crazy. Yep. But it's about, just like with all the, the sanctity of life issues and the abortion issue, it's about changing hearts. And that, I believe, is what ultimately Jesus Christ came to do, to change our hearts. 
to bring our hearts closer to God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Because we're prone in this world of concupiscence and sin. Our hearts are easily attracted to worldly things that, even if they're not sinful, just cause us to focus on this world. And the more we focus just on this world, it's not enough. As St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So if we're just focused on getting wealth and having pleasure in this world, gradually we drift into sin because this world doesn't feed us. It never has. It never will. If we grow closer to the Lord, even in this life, we begin to realize nothing in this world is attractive enough to cause me to sin. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We all are. But hopefully we're on a path of growing more and more virtuous and acknowledging our sin in confession and then starting over to grow deeper. I can testify Mm -hmm. that I have grown in my own holiness throughout my priesthood. And I still have a long way to go. Me too. But I am more virtuous than I was. And, you know, I, I still don't claim to be any holy guy, but that's what we're called to. That's what the saints model for us. And these points by Phil Lawler are about believing he's really there. Yes. And, you know, going into a church and seeing people chit-chatting like they're at a picnic, that's can be blasphemous. That needs to be corrected. And that's one of his points. The, the law of the church says people have the option of receiving in the hand or on the tongue. I, frankly, would like to see us return to the general practice yeah. being receiving on the tongue. It, it eliminates, if you believe you're really receiving Jesus Christ, it eliminates the threats to desecration that happen, not just with dropping the host, but people not receiving. I mean... The, the people that have nefarious plans can try to surreptitiously take yep. the body of Christ and not receive it. Yep. Receiving on the tongue makes eliminates a lot of that. So that, to me, is a good argument. I'm not going to force anyone. Right. And a lot of people in our churches in the diocese are not comfortable with receiving on the tongue. But I encourage people, pray about it, grow closer to the Lord, and receive him as reverently as you possibly can. I was a man that was here in our cathedral parish that died a couple of years ago, sadly during COVID. Mm-hmm. I was impressed because he would come and receive on the hand, but he would really gaze yeah. at our Lord for several seconds before <laughs> he received him. Love him. That showed me he that he truly him. believed. Yeah. He had been taught to receive in the hand, but he truly believed and he was receiving as reverently as he knew how to. That's what we all need to do. And to treat the, the churches as not just another building where we gather, but a sacred space. All of those things that Phil Lawler recommends, I encourage and I urge people to consider. Forcing them isn't going to work. No. But mandating, what, what kind of mandates do people, I mean, Going to Mass every Sunday is a mandated obligation. How many people ignore that? And so I want to encourage and change hearts because that's, and if you come to really know Jesus Christ, 
in his Eucharistic presence and the power of his word in the beautiful teachings of our faith, then you do grow to love him. That's what, to me, the irony of what Jesus tells us in John's gospel. If you love me, live my commandments. He knows that living the commandments will make us love him more. And we love him more and we live the commandments better. It's a it's an ongoing journey of growing in word and sacrament and living the commandments and knowing the Lord more deeply. And that's what the saints model for us. Many of them, like Joan of Arc, were willing to die yep. rather than deny Jesus Christ. That's the kind of faith we all need to have. And I think, Bishop Strickland, you've said it before, time before the Blessed Sacrament is, is the most efficacious thing we can do to know Jesus Christ. With the Bible in our hands and just being in the presence of Christ, I have also noticed a high percentage of priests in the United States have reportedly said that it was Eucharistic adoration that really solidified their vocation as a priest. Have you had that experience also, Bishop Strickland? Absolutely. Even as I look back, as a teenager in high school, before I went to the seminary, I was drawn to prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. I would go to our little church in Atlanta, Texas, and pray when I had time. Nobody told me to, and wow. frankly, a lot. it was air-conditioned, and a lot of times I had time to kill, and I would just walk over there from work or football practice, sure. but I, I know the Lord was already telling me, if you want to be a priest, draw closer to me in the Blessed Sacrament, yeah. and again, it's, it goes back and forth. Drawing closer to him in the Blessed Sacrament is the best way to discern your vocation. Not all are called to priesthood. We need good, holy men that are fathers and husbands like you. Yeah. But we that's the best way to discern your vocation. For So I would tell any young man or woman that's wondering what God's call is, yeah. spend some time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and you will find your spouse or you will find a call to religious life or to ordain ministry. That's wisdom right there, folks. You're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour. We come back, we're going to open up our catechism. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit right out of the catechism. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment, family. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back indeed. We're going to be opening up our way of Christ Catechism that's published by the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. It's it's chapter 7, page 18. And what I like about the Catechism, in the right-hand corner of every chapter, it says, find out more using the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that big, thick book that we have. So what they do is they refer you to paragraphs of the Catechism that they're actually referring to in their catechism. So uh, you can go as deep as you want. But this question three, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And again, I would recommend that you bring your Bible when you do this too. It says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit help us live out our lives as good and faithful Catholics. There are seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, fortitude, Piety and the fear of the Lord, taken right out of the Bible, Isaiah chapter 11. 
Wisdom is recognizing the truth revealed from God. Do you think our culture needs that? I think so. How about understanding allows us to grasp these truths better? Oh, yeah. Knowledge allows us to judge things according to the truth God revealed. Counsel allows us to judge right actions. Fortitude or courage strengthens us and struggles our moments of fear. Piety moves us to love and serve to God. Fear of the Lord makes us desire not to offend God. Wow, what advice for our culture, especially today, Bishop Strickland. Absolutely, and I think that we all need to pray over those gifts and pray for those gifts mm -hmm. to be stronger in our lives. And it occurs to me, one of the, I think, one of the greatest gifts of the, the Holy Spirit that we need mm -hmm. in the church today is fortitude. Oh, And really, I would ask everyone mm -hmm. to pray for all of the church, to pray for all of the hierarchy, yeah. all the cardinals and bishops, to have the fortitude to speak against the evil that we're seeing and to not allow it. I mean, we've got to speak up. And I think that we need to pray. I mean, people tell me all the time they're praying for me. Yeah. And I say it's the greatest gift. Yeah. And, and then I say I'll... A lot of times, I mean, like today, I offered the Mass for the intention of someone who is ill and suffering. And as I say to people, prayer is the greatest gift, and the Mass is the greatest prayer. And so we need to pray for every cardinal and every bishop in the world to be, become one voice of the truth of the Spirit. I mean, think about Pentecost. I really reflected on that. We just celebrated yeah. Pentecost. Sure. The, the church is gathered in one room. They're all together. It was very small. I mean, the church could fit in one room. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit descended upon them in the form of tongues of fire. That unity is what is lacking. Of course, the world is Catholic now. It's universal. It's all over the world. But it's terribly divided. People talk about being schismatic. Schism is departing from the Holy Spirit. Yep. It's separating from the body of Christ. Yep. And that is something we should all do our best to avoid. But be, accusing people of being schismatic when they're clinging to the truth of Christ is, is a totally reversed reality. And we're seeing too much of that. Too many words like pride are being used as some sort of banner of, of, of something to be celebrated when it's a sin. Right. And here we hear schismatic being used, and it's too often being targeted at people that are trying to live the truth that Christ proclaimed, that are living the commandments that he told us to live if we love him. So... I think we need to pray. Like I said earlier, it's about conversion of hearts, whether it's a cardinal or an archbishop or a bishop or a priest or a deacon, all of the ordained. We need to pray for conversion of hearts for any ordained member of the clergy, yeah. deacon, priest or bishop who is not 
upholding the deposit of faith according to what the church has taught for centuries, we need to pray for a conversion of heart. I have to pray for my own ongoing conversion of heart. There, Because I'm a sinner, there are ways that I waver in that faith. And I need to acknowledge that. Yeah. I went to confession just yesterday. As I told the kids, I had confirmation that evening, yesterday evening. And I told the kids, I went to confession, not because I'm holy, but because I'm not as holy as I should be. And I need to humbly confess my sins. I mean, humility is something that's woven into these gifts of the Holy Spirit, too. To be humble is to recognize I need more wisdom. I need more knowledge. I need more understanding. I need more fortitude. I need more counsel. I need more fear of the Lord. And I think that's one that really needs to be highlighted in the world today. People say, oh, yeah, those Catholics or these people that list these gifts. I mean, it's right out of Scripture, as you said, but, oh, fear of the Lord. You're not supposed to be afraid of God. It's not talking about being afraid of God, but it's reverence. It's knowing God is God and we're not. That's what fear of the Lord is about. And I would probably rank that next after fortitude as desperately needed in the church today because we fear way too many things. We fear loss of position. We fear loss of, of money. We fear loss of popularity. We fear all kinds of things, but we don't seem to fear the Lord. We need a stronger fear of the Lord, which means a respect and an understanding that God is our almighty creator. God is love. <clears throat> As we come to know him, we know the, the saints weren't afraid of God, but they had a deep fear of the Lord in the proper sense of knowing the awesome power and reality that God is in their encounter with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. That's why the saints are models for us. That's why we turn to the communion of saints. Just like we say in the creed, we believe in the communion of saints. And we need them. We need their model. We need their reminder of people that have lived in our own generation or in previous generations who have lived the holiness that we're called to. Well said, Bishop. We have just a couple of minutes. I just want to, um, you mentioned the saints as great examples for us. In the early church, most of the first couple hundred years, everybody was martyred. You know, we were just Christian one after another. And I think of that because what you said about fortitude, needing that today, it seems, and it just appears to me, whether it's in the church or in the politicians, we're all afraid to rock the boat. In other words, we if we say something, they might not like us. And I remember Monsignor William Smith saying this about the celibate priesthood, which he thinks is beautiful, and it really is. But he said there was a challenge. Most celibate uh, priests want to be liked at the parish. And so they will compromise sometimes <laughs> things just to say, well, I don't want this parishioner to jump on me. I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear so that we have really a nice little parish and everybody's happy. And I just don't want to rock the boat. If I tell them about the church teachings on contraception, oh, they're going to get mad at me. And I, I, I'm been, I bring this up to you, Bishop Strickland, isn't that a temptation 
that priests have to say, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm, I made a promise when I was ordained, and I have it right here in my left hand, that says I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in season and out. Am I on to something? Absolutely. And Terry, I confess, as a priest, I made those compromises way too often. And I acknowledge that and probably still do as bishop because I'm a sinner. Yeah. I fail. Yeah. And in the moment you say, oh, well, yeah, we'll just compromise here or whatever. But that's why we need the fortitude yeah. to be able to teach the truth with clarity and charity Amen. and know that that's that's the greatest love and that's the greatest care that a shepherd can give. And it, it may not be the popular thing, but I would wager that anyone on their deathbed is going to be <laughs> grateful for the priest or the bishop who taught them the truth instead of making them feel comfortable. And then when they're facing oh, yeah. death, wondering which direction they're going to go. Well said. I just want to give a little plug. We talked about the Los Angeles Dodgers on the 16th of June when the Dodgers are promoting these um, sisters of indulgences, which are not sisters, they're homosexual men. Uh, we're going to have a group of Catholics praying the rosary from the cathedral in downtown Los Angeles. It looks like Archbishop Gomez is giving us the green light to have mass in the cathedral. And then we're going to march a mile and a half from the cathedral to Dodger Stadium in reparation for these sacrileges. And then they'll be uh, there to pray the rosary with litanies. We'll be making uh, a couple statements outside the Dodger Stadium in the parking lot about uh, not supporting this and calling the Dodgers to do the right thing. So I wanted to bring that up to our listeners. You can go to vmpr.org and, and get a copy of that flyer. Bishop Strickland, how about a blessing for all of our listeners? Almighty God, we ask your blessing for all of us, especially those listening to this program, that we might grow in fortitude in our faith and the other gifts of the Holy Spirit, of your Holy Spirit, to guide us to true happiness and joy in this life and to be strengthened for the life eternal you call us to. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Strickland. Folks, you can listen to all the Bishop Strickland shows by going to vmpr.org. Get our free app, and you can listen anywhere in the world to all of the shows that we have with Bishop Strickland and also the other shows that Virgin Most Powerful Radio publish. And I just want to leave you on a note that I think is so important. And this is what I describe Bishop Strickland. Never worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't. Let's speak the truth in charity and clarity. May God love you. <laughs>